It's the Farmer to Farmer podcast, episode 145, and this is your host, Chris Blanchard. Corinna and Kurt Bench raise a little under 10 acres of certified organic vegetables at Shared Legacy Farms in Elmore, Ohio. With 400 CSA shares and a 78% retention rate, Corinna and Kurt have created a values-based business on family land that is supporting them in their 10th year of business. We take a deep dive into how Corinna and Kurt create a connection with and market to their CSA members, a system that has resulted in them being 94% sold out seven months before their CSA program starts. We get some great insights into their focus on just five delivery sites, the customer research they've done to identify the mindset and practices of their long-term CSA membership, and how they've used that information to create a marketing system that attracts dedicated and highly qualified prospects to their CSA program. And then we learn how they've created a system to provide new and renewing members with a roadmap to CSA success. We also discuss the transition to full-time farming after years of splitting Kurt's attention with an off-farm job and how they've created and continue to create more downtime during the season to rest and rejuvenate. The Farmer to Farmer podcast is generously supported by Vermont Compost Company, Founded by organic crop growing professionals committed to meeting the need for high quality compost and compost based living soil mixes for certified organic plant production. VermontCompost.com. And by High Mowing Organic Seeds, the first independently owned farm based seed company proudly serving professional organic growers with a full line of 100% certified organic and non GMO project verified vegetable, herb, flower, and cover crop seeds, highmowingseeds.com. And by BCS America, BCS two-wheel tractors are versatile, maneuverable in tight spaces, lightweight for less compaction, and easy to maintain and repair on the farm. Gear-driven and built to last for decades of dependable service, bcsamerica.com. Corinna and Kurt Bench, welcome to the Farmer to Farmer podcast. Afternoon, Chris. Thanks, Chris. So excited that you guys could join me today. I'd like to start off by having you kind of give us the lay of the land there at Shared Legacy Farms. Where are you guys located? How much are you growing? How are you getting that product to market and where are you marketing it? We are in Northwest Ohio in the Toledo metropolitan area. So we're on the east side of Toledo, southeast side of Toledo. And we started in 2008 with a CSA program primarily vegetables, and we have grown to roughly 400 half shares or 400 members um, through a CSA program. Uh, we grew one, you know, double, double our size, uh, we a little bit every year. So we went from 12 to 24 and just built ourselves up every year. And I uh, went full-time in 2013. Uh, we grow on some pretty good uh, sandy loam soil here in Northwest Ohio. We, the farm itself is about 25 acres. And we farm just roughly about seven, 10 acres of vegetables every year through rotations, the rest being CRP ground or fallow or whatnot. And how did you guys end up growing vegetables in Elmore, Ohio? Is that a, a popular vegetable growing area? There used to be a lot of canning uh, products grown here. So canning tomatoes in Fremont and a lot of surrounding areas. Um, I grew up on a I'm third, third generation farmer. So I grew up on a sugar beet farm, canning tomato farm and pickling cucumbers. And my grandparents also had a roadside fruit stand, which my parents took over. So yeah, vegetables are pretty were pretty heavy back in the day, back in the war years and thereafter. And really, something that's in your blood, Kurt. Yep, yep. I'm the I'm the farmer. Half. 
<laughs> yeah, I I did not grow up in a farm family. I um, was a suburb girl and met my husband outside Chicago uh, 10 years ago, uh, 15 years ago now. And uh, when I moved out here after we got married and had our first child, uh, I really didn't know anything about vegetables or the farm life at all. And so it was a really big learning curve for me. So part of what I love to do now is kind of relive that journey with some of our, some of our CSA customers who frankly resemble what I used to be like. <laughs> nice. I like that. So are you guys farming on family land or did you strike out on your own? We are. It's, it was in the family, not for, you know, centuries or whatever, but it was in the family a couple of years ago. And it's sort of been one of those things that was always set aside for me when I came back. I was in Chicago for seven years and dad sort of held on to this small piece of property, which is adjacent to one of his. And it's just sort of been one of those things that when Kurt comes back, this is going to be his his little baby. And we've uh, we've ran with it since then. With a little bit under 10 acres in, in vegetable production, then uh, tell me a little bit about how you're farming that, because that's kind of an awkward scale. You know, you're you're too big to really do things the JM Fortier or Curtis Stone, you know, super intensive market garden way, but it's also kind of hard to mechanize up at that scale of production. Yeah, you're right. We're right in the in between in between stage where we I do about an acre of Elliot Coleman style 30 inch beds um, for crops like carrots or leafy greens and radishes that they need a lot of attention. And I do a lot of the big stuff out in the big the big field on a 48 inch bed or six inch center bed. So that's all tractor cultivated stuff. So we do, I say for acre of Elliott Coleman and the rest, you know, it's the six to eight acres out in, in large, large uh, tractor production. So it's a lot of potatoes, tomatoes, uh, brassicas like that. Doing that combination, I assume that everything that you're doing Elliott Coleman style on the 30 inch beds is, is all or mostly handwork or BCS work and not four wheel tractor work. Correct. Yep. We've got a little Grillo, a uh, 30-inch Grillo tiller, and I've got a little, Troy built my first tiller. I, I, I put up beds with that. And it's a pretty good system for us. We can we can crank out a lot of production in those small beds. So that works out really good for us. And I can I can wash it close. It's, it's, it's close to the packing shed, so it's it's stuff that I need to watch every day. And it's for weeding purposes or watering purposes. It works really well. Whereas then for those, it sounds like larger seeded crops and transplanted crops, you're really able to manage that stuff with more of a tractor cultivation system? Correct. There's more leeway too with, with water and whatnot, so we don't need that direct attention every day. Yeah, we, we have, we've, got, we've got three tractors. We've got a, a 140 cultivating tractor. We've got a, uh, uh, what is it, a Hydro 80, I believe, or 86. And we just recently bought a Case, case 1394 uh, like a mudder, mudder kind of tractor, gear type tractor for, for an assist. And so we're, we've worked our way up to this point now where we have, you know, we always work to build the infrastructure up to have the ideal infrastructure and equipment and whatnot to run. And we're at that point now where we can just, hopefully the machine just runs now. So you mentioned infrastructure. What do you guys have in the way of infrastructure for managing 10 acres of vegetables? Uh, we have a 20 by 40 propagation house a 20 by 48 cool house for acclimating transplants, uh, a couple high tunnels. Not, we're not really big on season extension. We do a little bit of season extension. We've got a 30 by 40 packing shed. We've got a 50 by 
30 lean-to behind our big barn for a lot of the wash bay area, so it's all concreted. Um, we've got a pickup truck for delivery with a 14-foot trailer. So we're, we're pretty low-scale machinery-wise. We don't have anything that's really fancy. We don't have a really big box truck, or we don't have a lot of fancy equipment, just things that I've, that I've shared with my father because they, they run a vegetable operation as well, conventional operations, so we're able to share um, but I've I've built I've bought you know we've got Buckeye equipment we've got Sunflower Rainflow equipment um just little bits and pieces here and there where we just every year you buy something new to try and fit that that weak link right so we're just about there now Elmore Ohio how far are you guys from Toledo where you do most of your marketing about twenty to twenty five miles oh how nice is that yeah it's it's ideal we live a really good life <laughs> well and I think that does make things like transporting your produce in a, in a 14 foot trailer and not needing a refrigerator box truck a little bit easier, right? Because you're just not, you're not spending all day doing deliveries when you head to town. Correct. Right. So you guys actually came to my attention on the CSA discussion group when Simon Huntley made a comment about the marketing that you guys were doing of your CSA shares. And, and that was back in October about, how you guys were working on getting your renewals in. And when I went and looked at what you were doing, I was, I mean, I was really struck. There's, there's a lot of things that seem to be going on with your farm that are really different from a marketing perspective than what I see on most of the vegetable farms that have been on the show. And most of the vegetable farms that I've worked with or been a part of. And I mean, one of those just right off the bat is you guys are delivering to the Toledo suburbs, but you guys only have five drop-off sites for 400 CSA families. Correct. Can you tell me a little bit more about how that works? Cause that's, that's a lot of people at each one of those sites. What kinds of locations are you guys delivering to? Well, we have um, a couple of really big sites, uh, Sylvania and Perrysburg. And those are the um, wealthier suburbs of Toledo. Those are kind of our, um, the big guns. And then we have one that's uh, right outside our own front door right here in Elmore. Uh, and then we have a community on the lake, Port Clinton. Um, we tend to be wealthier communities that we've attracted. And Chris, I, I think it's important to mention that this has been a 10-year process in slowly building this clientele. And, and so when we started, we made a commitment to one another that we didn't want to be a farm that was running around doing delivery sites every day. We, we really wanted to hold the line there and keep the number of sites down to an absolute minimum, because I, I'm sure that many of your listeners would agree. We want to be on the farm farming. We don't want to spend the majority of our week sitting at a farmer's market or at a delivery site. So I really wanted to try to control that somehow. So we just made a conscious decision that we would never make it more than, than these five sites. And, and there have been times when we've thought about uh, dropping one of them just because it's, you know, maybe a, a smaller number. We always watch the the return rates and kind of pay attention to how many people are there and what makes it worth it for us to go. But um, we kind of look at it as, you know, if there's a if there's a site and it only has 20, 25 people, we can find those 25 people and funnel them to another site. And that saves us a whole day, you know, a whole half of the day where we don't have to travel then to a pickup site and set it up. So that was just a conscientious decision on our part early on that we weren't going to, to go that route. We were going to keep the number of sites low. And I think one of the things I've learned in marketing is that if you know 
who your target audience is, who your ideal customer is, and where they are, you can find them. You can find more of them. It's just a matter of knowing how they talk, how they think, and then delivering those words and those ideas and those, um, uh, I guess, speaking to to their mindset. Okay. So when you say those words, talking to people in their language, reaching into understanding their mindset, two things occur to me. One, that seems like something that we've all been reading about in marketing stuff for, I mean, decades, right? But then it also right. strikes me that that this is very similar to, I'd almost say it's textbook for for what you read in any kind of online marketing that says, you know, get the words of your customers and then use those words to describe what it is that you're doing. I mean, not being dishonest about it or anything, but but really trying to adopt their language so that you're reflecting back to them the kinds of things that they've said that they need or value. But, you know, that always sounds, I don't know, it sounds easy. It sounds kind of pat, but I know from experience that it's not. How have you gone about that? I guess it's the number one principle of marketing, right? Is that you have to, you have to know who your ideal customer audience is. And I think when we first started the CSA, we just would take any warm body to fill the spot. And over time, we, we watched the, the results of that decision. Um, our customer retention rate wasn't what we wanted it to be. And I know that's a struggle for every CSA farmer out there. Um, we had that struggle too. And I finally just said, I want to deal with this retention issue. I want to I figure out how do I increase my retention rate? It used to be uh, when we started out, it would be like in the 50s. I think uh, 2016, it was uh, 66%. And I just wanted it to be in the 70s. I'm like, it would be so great if I didn't have to stress out so much to find new customers. And so how do I figure out that problem? Or how do I solve that problem? And I decided that I needed to figure out why people were leaving, but perhaps more important, I needed to figure out why the ones who were staying were staying. And so that's what began this journey for me into the online marketing space to actually start studying marketing. I, I didn't know anything about marketing. I was just along for the ride with my husband. And about two years ago, I began to actually kind of look into these marketing principles. And so I started to call. I did, we did a really great customer survey um, at the end of the 2016 season. And I think I just asked some really terrific questions. Sometimes I think the power of our surveys are the kinds of questions we actually ask. And I just happened to pick some really good ones. Um, and one of them was, you know, why, why did you choose our CSA? What problem did we solve for you? And the responses that I got, you know, when you have 400 members and about half of them write back, you get a pretty good cross-section of what they probably think. And that one question alone was super helpful for me to see, like, the top, I saw patterns. I mean, the top three or four answers helped me identify why people kept coming back. And then not only the survey, but I did, I did interviews. I decided that I would call, I called them my CSA masters, like the people that, that I knew who were really good at CSA. And we all know who those people are. They're, they're the ones that light up when they see you and they talk on, their, on your social media pages a lot and you see them cooking amazing meals. And so I did like 45 minute interviews with over 30 of my customers. And I asked them different kinds of questions really to try to get into, into their heads and figure out why, why is this working for you? What were some of the problems that you ran into when you started the CSA? How did you overcome those? What were the hacks you used? Because I wanted to try and figure out how I could help newbies into my system 
um, in the future move faster along the journey so that they wouldn't feel those pain points, so they wouldn't bump into those obstacles, and then they wouldn't drop out. And so all this information was so valuable, and I just wrote it all down, and I saw these patterns. And um, out of that, a couple of really big aha moments surfaced. Um, you know, the, probably the most important one was that we essentially developed this past winter before the 2017 season. I was able to develop kind of a curriculum. I call it a, um, um, my, my blueprint or my roadmap to CSA success, and I taught that as a sort of course within my private Facebook group to my members. And so I was able to teach them, these are the things you need to know first, these are the things you need to know second in order to succeed. And I think that that first piece was really instrumental in helping our retention rate this year because our customers felt supported and actually felt themselves grow. But the second part of all of that research in terms of marketing is that, um, it, like I said before, it gave me the words um, that my my ideal customer was thinking. So I didn't really pay too much attention to the the few negative comments. And you always have those and you try to look for patterns there too. But I was really dialing into what are my what are my superstars saying about my farm? Because I want to attract more of those kind of people. If I can get those people who love me no matter what I do, who are going to succeed at this because it's easy, then uh, and they're going to stick around that's going to save me a lot of time down, down the road. So I was looking at their phrases, the, the kinds of stories they would tell me, the kinds of things they said they valued. And then when I um, started my marketing campaign, I, I used, sometimes I lifted those very sentences out of those interviews or out of the surveys and put them on my sales pages or in my emails and really tried to, to resonate with those, those prospects that were coming in the door. Corinne, I, I love what you did with those survey responses. So often with something like a CSA survey, we take all of the negative responses and try to respond to those. You know, oh, I got too many tomatoes, so we grow less tomatoes. Or I got too much kohlrabi, so we grow less kohlrabi. And, and I love how what you did was to really focus in on why people wanted to be part of your farm and what they felt was successful about your farming operation. Yeah, I really think that that was one of the reasons why our marketing has, has been so successful. And I can't really take credit for it. It was kind of a fluke. Um, but when you, when you know who you want in your CSA, I mean, if I can choose the type of customer that I could work with, who would that look like? And that would be my challenge to all those CSA farmers out there right now. Who is that ideal person that you want to work with? And then do whatever you can to figure out how they think what they value, what their mindset is, and then create advertising and marketing that speaks to them. Stop trying to get everyone to join your CSA or love your CSA or want to stay in your CSA because we all know that CSA is not right for everyone. It's just not a fit no matter what you do to get them there. There are just some people that it's not going to work for. And so I think we need to stop trying to turn everyone into a CSA convert and instead identify the characteristics of our ideal customer and do whatever we can to attract them. One of the things I love on your website is you've actually got a page that's titled, why would a person consider signing up for a CSA? And it's, it's six reasons why you really might or might not want to join a CSA farm. Yes. And a lot of those reasons are taken right from my interviews and my survey responses. Those were some of the patterns that I saw I don't know if those would fit absolutely every CSA farmer in the in the nation, but in my niche here, in this particular area of Toledo, that's uh, 
that's what we have found to be the case in our customers. And, and that particular blog post was one of my more viral ones. And when I saw how it took off and people really responded to it, I thought, well, I'm going to put that in a prominent place on my website so that when a person comes to my site and they want to look into my CSA, let's make sure that they go to that page so that I can almost qualify them as a lead, right? I kind of want people who are thinking about joining my CSA to read that page because if they get to the end of that article and they still want to join, then I know they're going to be upset. If they pause in point and say, I don't know, then I've just given them permission to back away. And that actually helps me in the long run too, because then I don't have to end up replacing them two years later when they decide they don't like it. And I love how right on that page, you say that CSA customers who come back year after year are a certain kind of customer, not a better kind of customer, just a certain kind of customer. And it sounds like this is, this is research that you actually did. This wasn't you going to one of the many CSA retention studies that have been done by by universities or by various CSA membership management entities. This was you guys figuring out what worked for your CSA, not copying and pasting this from somebody else's work. Right. Although I do have a feeling that if if other CSA farmers went and looked at that list, some of those things would probably jump out at them as well. Um, but for our style CSA, like we have the kind of CSA where you you get what you get and you don't get upset. You know, we prepack the box. You don't have a lot of choices. And so that's not what every other, a lot of other CSA farmers are doing. Um, so given that fact, we've also learned some things about what kind of a person would like our style of CSA. So I think that's also an important distinction to make. Right. That you're not just guiding them to or away from CSA in general, that you're guiding them to or away from shared legacy farms, CSA. Right, right. There's some other things that you've done with your marketing that is, again, matches up with a lot of what I've seen promoted for online marketing. And I guess I don't oftentimes think of CSA farms as doing online marketing, but that's effectively what you're doing. That's the primary way I think that CSA farms now get the word out about what they have and what makes their offerings unique. Yeah. You know, when we first started, Chris, 10 years ago, our idea of marketing was to put something together on a flyer and go to Office Max and photocopy it and pass it out at the farmer's market. And um, then we kind of graduated to a more professional looking brochure that we would still pass out whenever we could. Um, and, and then more and more, we've, we've moved into the kind of the digital age where we're using, we were using our website. But a couple of years ago, when I wanted to, to figure out this problem of customer retention, um, that's when I started studying uh, online marketing specifically. So I started following some of the big moguls in the online marketing space and I mean, I binge listen to podcasts every week. I still do. Like there's just five, four or five people that I follow. And after you listen to them for a year, <laughs> you listen to all their back issues, um, you start to hear the same kinds of things. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to try this because like, I think this, this could work for a farm business as well. And I had to modify it a little bit, but um, I found that it was highly successful. And it, it may be that because a lot of my customers are online. A lot of them are trolling through the, the social media channels. And so learning some of those techniques has been a big game changer for us. I mean, I see that even on your website, like as soon as you get there, there's a pop-up that comes up and says free vegetable storage guide if you enter your first name and your email address. Have, have techniques like that 
been successful in converting people to members of your farm? Absolutely. Yeah, I know. It sounds silly, right? Like I said, a couple of years ago, if you had told me that email was important or getting someone's email address was important, I would have laughed at you because I thought email is, email is going the way of the dinosaur, right? That's what we all think. Um, but I, like uh, about a year ago, I, when I switched over to a new email service provider, I had 456 emails. And today I have just over 1,500. So I've grown my list by 1,000 emails in just 12 months. And that's been predominantly through the use of these, uh, what you just described, which is called a lead magnet, when you create some kind of content that's so valuable that people would probably pay money for it, but you provide it for free on your website. And so they'll exchange their email address for it. Um, so I created several of those documents and it took me a while. It took me several weeks to put those together. But again, I kept looking at it as an investment. Hey, this is going to help me find leads so that I don't have to work so hard to find new customers the way I've always done it. Um, and, and you have to kind of, I think, remember that a person, uh, our customers are, are on a journey and they enter our sphere of influence in different places. And so I have to create, I look at it as I want to try and create many different entry points into the, the customer journey. So there might be people that are really clueless and don't know a lot about vegetables at all. So something like an A to Z vegetable storage guy would be really helpful. They want to learn how to store vegetables and how to handle them and freeze them. Um, and then they, they get automatically subscribed to a drip campaign that I've created. It's like 10 emails that drip out at a certain rate throughout the next three weeks. And each one gives them additional content. Hey, I'm teaching you this. Here's a quick way to store raspberries so they don't get moldy. Um, or uh, let me tell you about green bags. They saved my life. You know, and I, I write these engaging emails that teach them things instead of sell them things, just teach them things. And so then by the time they get to that, they've established a relationship with me. They see me as someone that they know, like, and trust. And so then when I come in later, with a, uh, a sale and I, I start talking to them about, hey, do you want to subscribe to my farmer's market pre-order list or do you want to think about joining my CSA? They know who I am and they see me as someone who's added value to them. Um, and I think there's a little bit of reciprocity going on there where they say, I want to, I'll, I'll take a listen. I don't mind hearing a sales pitch here for a little bit. So all of that is part of this market, online marketing strategy where you, you create a system, a huge machine that includes these weed magnets to pull people into your funnel. And then you journey along with them. You nurture that relationship with a weekly consistent email or blog post or something that adds value to them. And then occasionally throughout the, throughout the year, you have seasons where you might have launches and you sell things, but you don't constantly try to sell to people. So that's the strategy that I've adopted and it's been working really well. And it seems like that's something you do also with your current members, as well as people that you're hoping might become a member in the future, that you really work hard to provide them with value on a weekly basis that goes beyond just the vegetables that are in the box. Yeah. So um, that's actually, I'm glad you brought that up because I think when we first started selling a CSA, we just, we just saw it as a box of vegetables, right? Oh, and then you might get a newsletter and you might get to come out and do some farm events. Um, but now I've actually, the, the, the value, the, the content, the teaching that I do inside our private Facebook group, and we do like two or three videos a week sometimes, and I'm making PDF cheat sheets like formula for a perfect pesto, you know, that they can download and put into their little binders. I mean, providing that kind of stuff has actually created 
this additional value to our membership. So when I came to the end of this year and I had to put together my offer to get people to renew, I didn't just say, hey, you get a box of vegetables and a newsletter and some farm events. I talked about those those things that that have added additional value to them in in the Facebook group. And hey, you're you're going to miss out on learning more things. You're Think about all the things you learned this past year. You're going to miss out on that next year. So we, we talked about the value of the private Facebook group, the community that they feel um, when they're in there, the access they have to all the other foodies in Toledo through that group, um, and the way that they're learning and growing. So yeah, we we've kind of created a huge content creation engine within the CSA uh, that helps us create this this idea for our customers that they're getting additional value beyond just the vegetables. That seems to be working. I noticed on your website this morning that it says you've only got 24 spots remaining for your 2018 CSA. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I couldn't believe the results myself. Um, when we started, we decided to do this early bird launch season. Uh, this this year we began on October October 1st. And our season ended October 21st, so I just kind of made that the natural ending. I gave people three weeks, and I I got a 78% retention by the end of October 22nd. Um, and then I opened it to the public, and I did a very similar kind of email launch campaign to my CSA leads that I had amassed over the last year, and I filled it up. Now, so now we're 95% full, which is crazy, and it's a huge relief because I can go into the winter. I don't really have to create a marketing plan like I did in the past. And I have this immense freedom for the months of February, March, and April, or I can be working on some other projects instead of figuring out how to find 125 members. That email series was really instrumental for us in, in pulling in these new customers. And a lot of that stuff was, was put together based on, just these tips that I've learned from online marketing, but also, I mean, I took an email copywriting course and uh, just applied a few of those principles and learned how to make a basic offer. I, I thought about how can I create scarcity and urgency and put all those pieces of the formula together. I think it was nine emails that I sent out over the course of a three week period. And those were the results I got. It's really fantastic. You're here sharing this on the Farmer to Farmer podcast, and it, it makes me wonder if, are you concerned that, I mean, right now you're like, you're like the people that are out here on the leading edge of this online marketing and really using these tools that are more prevalent in other industries. Do you feel like you're sharing this information with other people that are going to be marketing CSAs into Toledo? Mm-hmm. Do you think that that's going to have an impact or is it that, is it that these are things that just work or is it things that work because you're the only person out there doing it right now? Kurt, I'd be curious to hear what you, what you think about this. Um, Cause I, it's not just that I wrote really great emails. Yeah. Part, part of our whole, our whole package, Chris, is that we, we're a, we got a, we built a really good brand. And part of that is, you know, we're an integrity driven farm. Like we, we are either Corinna or myself are at each drop-off site, but we are seeing each of our customers every week. So we are like they're like family to us. They're extended family. So we're we're knowing what their their family lives are going on, what their kids are doing, and we're poking around, and making fun of each other all the time. So it's we're 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 in this like for the long haul, and we're trying to get those right kind of people that are in for it for the long haul with us as well. 
But I do think that when you grow somebody, if you're responsible for helping someone develop, there's incredible loyalty that forms there. And so I guess I don't worry about losing the customers that I have right now. I think that they are so excited about learning how to make their own vegetable broth from vegetable scraps. I mean, that one tip alone like, just made people so excited in my CSA um, or, you know, teaching people how to make a pesto. They had no idea that you could use the tops of carrots to do something. I mean, when just teaching people and growing people in the kitchen has, has created uh, a big brand loyalty for us. And as far as, am I worried about what other farmers, um, are going to do? Are they going to move in on this territory? I hope they do. I, um, in fact, I'm, I'm trying to teach this stuff to farmers. I have a private Facebook group that I started for farmers to study CSA marketing where I do videos and I talk about the things that I'm doing. It's small, but I'm, you know, I'm hoping just to share this information with people because it has been so groundbreaking for me when it was happening. I kept going to her and saying, I can't believe this is working. All this stuff is working. And I wish that other farmers knew about it because if they could use these principles and techniques in their own marketing and their own farms, um, wouldn't that be awesome? We could all help one another. So I kind of operate out of a, a spirit of service and generosity. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm all about trying to help other farmers get better at this. All of this must take an incredible amount of time. I mean, Kurt, you just mentioned something that takes an incredible amount of time going and staffing each of your five drop sites, not with just some random delivery driver, but with you or Corinna. It's a big deal, Chris. That's, that's pretty serious. And we, and we have, we have, you know, people that help us out. Obviously it's not just me and Corinna, but you know, but we, but when we, when we're there, that when you see people light up, like they are there to see the farmer too. And that's, that's a pretty big deal for a lot of our customers. Chris, I also wanted to say that in those surveys that came back and in my interviews with customers, the number one reason why people chose our CSA or joined a CSA was the relationship with the farmer. They wanted to have a relationship with a local farmer. And so when you hear that, then you know, I have to deliver on that. I can't just, you know, be a a face virtually. I have to show up and shake their hand. You know, people want to shake the hand that feeds them. And so just having that information, knowing that that's what our customer values, knowing that's what it takes to keep them loyal and happy. Well, then we make some intentional decisions about, about making sure that we're at every drop-off site. We, we also um, take photographs of the, the customers at the beginning of the season. They're holding these little whiteboards with their name on them kind of like a mugshot. And then we print those out and we study them so that we learn their names. And that was an intentional mechanism that we had to put in place. And yeah, it took some time, but after you learn their names, holy cow, I mean, that gets crazy buy-in from your customer when they show up three weeks later and you know them by name, um, that you've just stroked that need they have, right, to connect with a local farmer. So we hear these things from our customers. We want to, we want to have a relationship with a farmer. Well, if, if I hear that as a business owner, then I need to build some mechanisms in my business to make sure that that happens. And in our case, we show up at the sites and meet everyone and we learn their names. Now, the second thing too, Chris is, is, you know, you said like being off the farm, like that's one of the things for me personally is that I get my batteries recharged when I see my customers going crazy over my food. When they're like, when, they, when their kids open the box and they're, and they're like, oh, we got carrots again this week, or they're just going crazy or stuff like that, that to me 
makes all the hard work that I'm doing every day, you know, and night, <laughs> like so worthwhile. And I see people really enjoy and like appreciate what I'm doing for them. Yeah. And I think there's also a feedback loop that's present when you're, when you're there seeing them every week, you pick up on some of the signals, uh, some of their body language. <laughs> and then that kind of comes back in, into, you know, Grand Central Station here where we figure out how to solve problems as they surface. It's a positive feedback loop for you, but it's also an early warning system for you about any potential problems that are beginning to crop up. Yeah. Chris, I want to go back to your comment about how it seems like this takes a lot of time. And um, so Kurt, Kurt's really responsible for all of the production piece and growing things. I can't grow a single thing. So thank God he's the farmer. Um, but he's, he's definitely got his own list of things to do every week. And he's on top of that. Um, and yeah, we do have to set aside time to actually go to these pickup sites. But I told you earlier, like we, we put a line in the sand and said we're only going to do five because that's that's all that we can handle. Um, but then the piece that I work on, it sounds like it's a lot of work. And it was on the front end. But now that I have the, the lead magnets in place and I've, you know, built the sales page and I and I know how to um, use some of these technology tools that make this easy. Um, or I have these rituals in place, like every week I write one email to my list. Like those, those disciplines um, really have made, built this machine that kind of works works itself now. And I feel like all I have to do is touch the proverbial flywheel to keep it spinning every now and then um, to keep that momentum going. I think that's a really important point. And it actually, I mean, right, that's what a lot of farming is about anyways. You know, you put a lot of effort into building a packing shed then you have a packing shed. You know, and what you're talking about is a similar thing of having a marketing system that you've built and now you've got the marketing system and what you need to do now is to run customers through the marketing system that you've already created. Right. And I think the, the, the big hurdle to overcome, which is probably a hurdle for most farmers, is that you don't even know where to begin when you want to, I think that most farmers want to get better at marketing, but they don't know how to start. Um, they go to conferences and they're trying to find the marketing workshops. And a lot of it seems to be the same thing over and over again. And um, I, I just feel like that's the big hurdle. And market, marketing needs to be something that farmers commit to studying. And not everybody wants to do that. Not every farmer gets excited. I know Kurt tells me, thank God you're, you're in charge of that because I have zero interest in learning how to write emails. Um, but I feel like a strong, a strong business needs to have somebody who's the product champion for your marketing. And if it's not the farmer, then someone else who's just taking that by the reins and trying to figure out a way to get in front of their tar target audience and build that system to capture leads and move them through the marketing funnel and nurture them on their journey. Um, our commitment to, to doing that and building that system um, is probably one of the reasons why things are now churning and working. But it took time and it took a commitment on my part to, to learn it. And I feel like now I kind of know the four or five things that a farmer probably needs to learn if they want to get good at online marketing. So you said two things that I want to follow up on. One, a lot of people don't know where to start. So where do you start? How do you, I mean, if you're, I'm thinking back to my, my time as a CSA farmer and, and kind of muddling my way through the marketing and, you know, we had a website, we had a newsletter, but there was just a lot of, I don't know, we didn't have a system. We had a bunch of different ways that we were marketing, but it didn't all 
it didn't all fit together into one cohesive whole. And I think that really limited its effectiveness. Where does a farmer start getting into this online marketing piece? I think um, first a a farmer needs to uh, claim their niche and figure out what is it that I'm going to stand for? What is it that I'm good at? Um, We tried at first to be um, a farmer's market farmer and a wholesale farmer and a restaurant farmer and a a CSA farmer. And when we finally embraced that we're a CSA farm, things got a whole lot clearer. Um, And so I think step one is just drawing a line in the sand and figuring out what is it that I'm going to be known for? I can do a lot of things as a farmer. I I can do all those outlets, but what's the one thing that I'm really good at and that I want to be known for. Like Geico sells a lot of different kinds of insurance, but what do we know them for? We know them for car insurance. So it's the same kind of thing for us. We have to figure out the one thing. And once you figure out what that one thing is, then you have to figure out who is my ideal customer. And so there's kind of a process that I walk people through, you know, to to identify your ideal customer avatar um, really getting into their head. What are what are the kinds of survey questions that you should ask? What are the kinds of questions you should ask when you do interviews on the phone? Um, I have a discipline where I try to call two customers every month of the year with these questions, even though I kind of know the answers already, but I just feel like it's a good discipline to keep my finger on the pulse of our business. Um, so I feel like it starts with knowing what you're, what you're going to be all about and then figuring out who your target audience is. And then from there, you you start the process of working out your messaging. Um, people, I think, buy products. People don't always buy the, the best product. They'll buy the product that's the most clear and the least confusing. <laughs> and so if you, if you are confusing, when people come to your website and they're confused and there's like volumes of text and they can't figure out what you do and they get to the end and they're, they're burning brain cells, like they're going to leave. If they find a website where it's like step one, step two, step three, um, and you just put stones in the creek for them and made it really easy, then then they're more likely to stick around and, and follow that path of least resistance. So messaging, strong messaging is all about clarity. It's all about um, lack of confusion. And that's why it's so important to know what is it that we are, what are we going to focus on, and then figure out who's the target audience for that product and really zone zone in on that so you can speak to them in your marketing. And this is really what you guys do right on your homepage. So when you land on the shared legacy farms homepage, there are these very brightly colored flags that say what your farmers do in the winter, only 24 spots remaining for the 2018 CSA access our recipe database and how to order veggies through our online store. And then there's the pop-up that allows somebody to get your free vegetable storage guide. So there's, there's a number of different Mm -hmm. entry points, but it's also, you're not overwhelmed with choices and you're not overwhelmed with information right at the beginning, kind of choose which path you want to go down. I think it's funny because you're, you're referencing our, our website. And I would actually argue that I think our website is not super clear and I'm actually rebuilding the website (laughs) (laughs) this winter so that when someone comes to it, um, it's very clear that we're a CSA farm. Um, when you go to see like the blueapron.com website, for instance, I, I know we all secretly despise Blue Apron because they're stealing our market share, but they have gotten this messaging down to a pat. And I think we can learn a lot from their 
their lack of confusion. Um, they make it very simple and they're speaking. If you look at the words that they put on the page, they are speaking to the needs of their target audience and their wants and desires. And so I think we can go there and, and, and even as we're shooting darts at, you know, at the, at the page, we can also appreciate the brilliant messaging that's going on there and try to copy their methods and, and put it on our own website. Um, so this winter, we're actually going to be rebuilding the site so that it's a giant picture of a customer um, happily using our product in their kitchen. And we're going to have one bold headline along the front that has sort of our tagline on it. I don't know what that is yet, but it'll be very clear, you know, what we are. And there's going to be one orange buy now button in the middle and maybe one next to it that lures them into a lead magnet. So it's just going to be really clear. This is a CSA farm. And then if they want to figure out that we're at the farmer's market, they can scroll down to the bottom and find us down there um, on a menu item. But I'm, I'm just going to get real superstar clear about CSA. That's where we want you, CSA. And then I have those, I talked about the eight guy, but I also have my other key lead magnet is um, that blog post. But I actually have it as a lead magnet, the six questions you should ask to know if CSA is right for you. Um, I ha have that as a... Um, a form that people can fill out, give me their email address, and then they get that as a PDF. And what I always tell people is that if someone downloads that particular PDF, I know they're interested in CSA, right? They wouldn't download a, a whole page about CSA and if it's right for them, unless they weren't thinking about it. So the kind of lead magnet that you create really matters in terms of qualifying your leads and getting the right people into your funnel. And you might even have a different funnel that you would use for somebody who chooses that guide versus somebody that chooses the vegetable storage guide? Right, right. So the A to Z vegetable guide actually channels people into a drip campaign for the farmer's market. Because I feel like that's at the top of the funnel. Those are when people first enter my sphere of influence. They're kind of just dabbling in our produce at the farmer's market. And they get nurtured and they get taught things through that sequence. And then sort of towards the end, I introduce them to the word CSA. And I ask them, if you want to know more about this, click here. And if they click that button, then it starts another another drip campaign that's all about teaching them about what CSAs are about. So, um, yeah, there's different ways to move people through your system and segment them so that you can speak your message very clearly to a particular audience. And email service providers um, will do that for you. I mean, people have MailChimp. There's, there's certain email service providers that are more robust than others. Um, I use ConvertKit, but I know that MailChimp is another really good one as well. Corinna, you mentioned that there were four or five things that you recommend that farmers look at for getting their online marketing program up and running. And, and you mentioned a couple of them. What else should farmers be looking at? Well, if you, if you want to follow the online marketing methods, I think another thing you really have to, to do is get a really great email service provider, also known as an ESP for short. And there are several out there that are um, kind of beginner level. Then as you grow your list and get more sophisticated, there's kind of an intermediate level. And then the really big time social media moguls are using very robust engines like Infusionsoft, which are more expensive and complicated. Um, I started out with um, uh, madmimi.com. I know that a lot of people use MailChimp. That's another really good one. Um, but the one that I graduated to about a year ago is called ConvertKit. And I really like this one because for my stage in the game, um, it, it really segments my audience really well. So it will tag people 
based on their behaviors within my emails. And um, I just find it to be a very user-friendly interface. So I think if you're going to study this online online marketing method and, and try to utilize email, uh, you've got to get a tool that's that's strong and that that's going to be able to do the heavy lifting for you. So much of the sales really revolves around nurturing that relationship with your customers through email. And if you don't have a good tool that doesn't have good open rates or deliverability rates, or that doesn't interface with your store, for instance, um, or that doesn't interface with the Facebook pixel to give you uh, your stats for your sales, then it just makes it hard to make good business decisions. Right. So that would be, I think, step three. Uh, so I think the next step is you have to study the art of copywriting. And that means you have to really embrace the reality that we sell with our words. Words are important. And so you need to know how to put words together. You need to understand that in the online marketing space, actually in any selling space, there's a formula that works for moving people along the funnel, moving people along the journey, getting them into a, that emotional place where they're ready to buy. I like to talk a lot about the taxi cab effect with my, with my students because I feel like when people are, um, are ready to buy, uh, they want to buy now and their taxi light is on, right? They're ready to go. And if you don't have um, something ready to sell them, or if you haven't prepared them, then the taxi light goes off and you might try to sell to them six months later and they're not interested. So buying is a very emotional decision. And so you need to tap into that. You need to be ready to grab people. You need to get them so their taxi light goes on. And then when it's on, you need to be ready for that call to action and, and get them through the door. So these are all techniques that you learn when you study copywriting. There are Things like how to write a great headline, just so they'll open your email in the first place. There's um, different methods for getting them to continue to, to scroll down your email. And we all read really bad emails that bore us to tears. There's a reason why we don't open certain people's emails because we know they're boring. So if you learn how to write well, people will want to open them because they'll, they'll know you're either going to give them something valuable or it's funny or it's to the point and what they need. So these are all techniques that you learn when you study copywriting. And when I took this course, it was probably the, the single most important thing I ever invested in for my business because um, we, can, we can grow all the vegetables we want, but if we can't sell them, then we're up a creek without a paddle. So uh, learning how to use words to sell, I think is really important. And there are some tricks of the trade that that are really simple and quick to learn that you can start implementing right away, not just in your emails, but on your sales pages and your website. And they go, they have a lot of mileage. So those copywriting techniques, the things that you learned in that online course, well, let me ask another question first. How much did your online copywriting course cost? I spent $999. Oh my goodness. So I was, uh, I was, uh, I'm a great example of how I, was pulled in by a online marketing business. Um, they cultivated and nurtured my lead. So I've been following them for six or seven months, learning from them a little at a time, uh, finding great value. I liked her teaching style. And then when this offer came through, it was actually two courses in one, how to do launches and how to do um, basic email copywriting. 
normally they're a thousand dollars each. And so when the offer came in two and one as a bundle, um, and then I saw the countdown timer on the sales page, I mean, all these elements that I'm now learning how to use, right? They were working on me. And so I bought them and um, yeah, and I binge watched them in like three weeks and started using them and they worked. And I guess, I mean, you know, I mean, a thousand dollars sounds like a tremendous amount of money, but with the kinds of results that you've gotten out of that, seems like a good investment. Absolutely. I mean, when Chris, when you think about as farmers, our time is our most precious commodity, right? And so I may have spent that thousand dollars, but I just learned a life skill for my business. It's going to save me oodles of time in the future. I feel like now I know how to write website pages that cause people to convert. I know how to write email emails that aren't boring. So my email open rates are higher. I know how to move people along the journey so that they're actually ready to buy. Um, yeah, I mean, I just opened up February, March, and April of next year where I'm not going to have to create these elaborate schemes to try and, you know, attract leads. Now I can just work on other things or I can spend time with my kids. Uh, so yeah, I, so to me it was totally worth it. Plus it just energized me. I think I'm like everyone else in my CSA. When I learned something new, I got excited and I felt, uh, I felt alive and so I'm, I'm loving it. I don't regret it for a second. So you've talked about the importance of the of the copywriting and and how you've used that on your farm. Is there a place where we can see us an example of the way that you've used what you learned in the copywriting course? Yeah, I um actually for this podcast I put together a swipe file of the email campaign that I used that got me a 78% retention rate for my current members. And a swipe file is basically just a cut and paste of all the content, all the email content of that entire campaign. And so I have that. You guys can download it at uh, sharedlegacyfarms.com slash email download. And just you'll have to give me your email address and then you can access that PDF file. And it will show you the exact emails that I use. And you can kind of pay attention to, I guess I don't want them to just lift that and use that for their for their own CSAs, but more like pay attention to the strategy and what was going on and how I structured it um, to see an example of how one puts together copy. Um, and in, if you download that, you'll also get invited to join my private Facebook group. You'll get the link that you can click on to, to come on over to my group and uh, pay attention to the, the videos of it and the online trainings that I provide in there for free. Thank you for that. With that, we're going to stop here, take a break, get a quick word from a couple of sponsors, and then we'll be right back with Corinna and Kurt Bench from Shared Legacy Farms in Elmore, Ohio. Perennial support for the Farmer to Farmer podcast is provided by Vermont Compost Company, makers of living potting soils for organic growers since 1992. You know, most of us didn't get into this business to make the most money in the fastest possible time frame, and neither did Vermont Compost Company. And the funny thing is, this organic farming thing doesn't really work that way anyhow. Organic farming works best when you use the discipline of business to guide your investments in the future. And that's what Vermont Compost Potting Soils do. Without glitz, without glamour, but with the art and the science that creates an ideal living matrix where your transplants can thrive, setting the stage for success throughout the year. And while it's not all about the money, Vermont Compost Fall Pre-Buy Program can help you get what your plants need at the best price with the best shipping options. Don't miss out. Vermont Compost Fall Pre-Buy Program runs September 21st 
through December 21st. Taking care of growers by taking care of transplants since 1992. VermontCompost.com Support for the Farmer to Farmer podcast is also provided by High Mowing Organic Seeds. When your livelihood depends on the quality of your seeds, you need to be confident in your investment. And when you grow organically, you need to know that your seeds were selected to perform in organic conditions. High Mowing offers professional quality seeds grown by organic farmers for organic farmers. Purchase your seeds from High Mowing before December 21st and receive a 10% discount through High Mowing's Community Supported Seeds Program. This program is just like a CSA. Customers purchase seed shares supporting an independently owned organic seed company. And as a thank you, you receive 10% off the value of your share. Shares can be purchased in any amount. For details, visit highmowingseeds.com save or call 866-735-4454. You can also request a free copy of the 2018 High Mowing Organic Seeds Catalog. All right, and we're back with Corinna and Kurt Bench from Shared Legacy Farms in Elmore, Ohio, uh, not too far from Toledo. Um, I feel like when I bring up Toledo, like there should be a joke about Toledo because isn't Toledo? <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I'll probably Holy get in trouble Toledo, for that. Jamie <laughs> so, Farr. <laughs> so I'm really interested in how you guys made this transition in 2013 from from farming part-time or maybe even farming full-time, but having Kurt having an off-farm job to going full-time with the farm. Was Corinna working off-farm in 2013? No, I was not. I was a new stay-at-home mom and we made a commitment as a family to have me at home so that I could raise our, um, our boys as they, before they got to school. So I was really disengaged from the farm operation for the first, what would you say, five years, Kurt? Uh, def- define disengaged. Yes, you weren't a full, <laughs> you weren't a full-time employee. <laughs> well, I guess if you look at how how I'm an integral part now of the marketing machine, I I was certainly nothing like that. I wrote the newsletter and I took photographs, but that was essentially what I did. But it was the beginning of, I guess, the branding and the messaging piece that would eventually bloom into what it is now. And and Kurt, you were working off farm. What kind of job did you have when you guys started the vegetable operation? <laughs> Funny story. I worked for the enemy. I worked for ADM Grain there for five years. So I, I was worked at the elevator downtown, loaded vessels, rail cars, and trucks and whatnot. So, but it was you know it was a great job because it allowed me flexible hours to you know work the nine to five thing. And then still come home and be able to farm. So that was, you know, it, the the pay was awesome. Pay was hard to leave, but that allowed me to pay for our living expenses. And we were able to whatever the the farm made, whatever those profits were, went right back into reinvesting in the farm and infrastructure and tractors and whatnot. So it really allowed you to capitalize the farming operation before you went full time yep. with the farming operation. Correct. And it was, it was hard, Chris. I mean, when I when we came back from Chicago, I I went to, been to Moses a couple of times, and I visited a couple of CSA farms out in Chicago area, and I was like ready to come home and gung ho, like we're gonna start a CSA farm. And Corinne's like, whoa, 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 <laughs> you have no job right now. We're moving to family. I'm gonna we're gonna have a baby. There's two or other things going on right now. So I'm glad that she pulled back the reins, and you know we took it step by step, and we started small. We started with 12 customers. And it was basically a big garden, pretty much. 
and we just slowly worked it from there. But we were also fortunate to were, you know, halfway subsidized by my parents. Um, they have a conventional, you know, roadside fruit stand kind of garden um, or operation uh, next to us. So I was able to borrow, barter my time with them for use of equipment and, and land and whatnot. That was the beginning years. That was huge, huge, huge to get us in where we are now. I'd also like to mention there was a long, we were playing the long game here too. I think when we first began that journey, it, it involved a lot of self-discipline, a lot of self-control. You know, we wanted to buy all this equipment and 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 put ourselves in debt, but we said, no, let's let's do this smart and let's double in size every year and let's figure out what that magic number is before you can step away. And every year we added something new um, piece by piece. And I think that that self-control was really instrumental for helping us make some good to set us, I think, to be nimble too, we could kind of see what was working, what, what didn't work before we put this huge investment of our time or our finances into something only to find out it didn't work. Um, so that was a really good, looking back, a really good strategy uh, to not just jump right in and throw everything into it, but little by little to, to build, build the system and build the machine so that we knew when it was time to, to leave ADM we were pretty confident that we could scale up because we had the machine in place and we just had to turn the key. And how did you know that it was time to leave ADM? I came home one night and said, we're, I'm, I can't work here anymore. <laughs> That's what I mean. It was, it was, it was a tough life. You know, there's when you're loading vessels, you're loading vessels for 14, 20 hours at a time. And just when you have young children and you're trying to, you know, you're trying to farm. So when you come back from that, you're, you're on, you're on the farm with a headlamp trying to get the rest of everything harvested or planted or whatever. And it's just, it was getting to the point where I was getting pulled too many times in both directions and something had to give. Yeah. And as a, as the, the wife, you know, when he told me I, I can't do this anymore and he was really serious, like we got to stop. I immediately start thinking numbers. And I'm like, well, that means we have to sell, you know, 125 more shares. And to me, that seemed like a huge number back then. And I think Chris, you know, at some point, as a farmer, when when you get to that place, you just have to take this leap of faith. If you if you feel like you've done your due diligence and built the system, at some point, it, it's never going to be. If you're waiting around for it to be, you know, super easy and for the fear to go away, that's never going to happen. Um, there was fear, and we stepped into that fear, and and we sold. It was like, okay, well, we better sell those 125 because we got to, and we figured it out, and we did. So. Um, for people who are in that situation right now, I would say, you know, if you feel like you've done your due diligence and you've built that machine and you're still waiting for that fear to go away, you're going to wait forever. There's always a, a bit of risk um, and a little bit of, oh my God, here we go. You know, as you, as you make that step. When you made that step, did you already have other people working on your farm or was this just the Kurt and Corinna show? No, we, um, I, you probably know Mike Bollinger. He had came come to our farm probably our third year or second year for some consultation. And he gave me a really great bit of advice saying, um, if you want to grow your operations, we told him our aspirations, right? You know, we want to be a full-time farm. He's like, if you want to get there, you're going to need to hire some folks and duplicate yourself. And he's like, make a list and write down the things that only you can do, Kurt, and write down things you can delegate. And that was a pretty powerful thing for, you know, any guy farmers, like, you know, you want to do everything and be a part of every single step of the process. Right. 
Um, so to delegate things, it was a hard thing, but we hired our first employee, uh, I think our second year, we had a high school college student. And then from that year on, we just added employees thereafter. Um, we have, we paid our all employees, we had workshare employees, and now we're at a, we have oh, three to four, possibly five seasonal full-time employees during this production season. And we have anywhere from 15 to 20 work shares in season as well. And how did your life change when you went full-time on the farm? Were you able to scale back in the total number of hours you were working or were you still looking at 14 to 20 hour days, but just on the farm <laughs> instead of doing it for ADM? Uh, it, was, it, was, it was probably the same amount of time, but I was here. So I was able to take lunches and to see my kids and to play around and and to do those cool things and to get away, you know, for an hour here or there. Um, but those first few years, the farm, we, the, the farm owned me. I, I didn't own the farm. And we're just getting to a point now where we've got the right amount of labor balanced out, I think, um, for what the work is. But we're able, we're, we're trying to I mean, streamline our processes and our, our expenses, really walk away more and to own the farm again and not have it own us. We just had a, a business meeting yesterday where we <clears throat> walked through and evaluated our last season and tried to identify where is the, where's the energy on the farm right now? Where is, where is the natural momentum moving? What gets, gets us excited? Where do we want to spend more time? And then also where, where are those pain points? Where are the things draining us? And really trying to, to make some of those hard decisions about does this, does this really add value to our operation and to our brand? Is this something we can cut? Because we're looking we're looking for, for white space. You know, I think every farmer struggles with that. You always want to keep growing your operation and getting bigger or, or adding more value to your customers, but there's a price to pay for that. And so how can we better manage that so that we have some white space, we have downtime in, in the off season or in the, in the heat of the season. So we're not killing ourselves. What kinds of changes are you actually making to create some more white space? Well, was it two years ago, Karina, we gave ourselves a vacation. So we we are and we first started the, the CSA. The goal we are, we try to follow the goals from the the Wisconsin area and the coast of like the 20 to 25 week CSA, you know. And we started 18 with the 19 and we did 20 one year, I think. And then we're just like, why are we doing this? We're we're fighting Mother Nature too much. So we went down the 19, um, I think in 14, and then in 15 or 16, we decided to give ourselves a vacation. So we decided we told our CSA customers we're moving down to 18 weeks. And we're going to, at our will, um, take a week off during the middle of season. And that worked out awesome. <laughs> that was one way we did that. Wow. So tell me about how that actually works from a marketing perspective, because that's a lot of people that you have to communicate with and make sure that they actually get the message that you're not delivering boxes one week during the summer. Yeah, we have to communicate that in uh, a lot of different ways. I don't just, for something like that, I don't just rely on the, the email that comes out the week before, right? You you have to set the expectations with your customers at the beginning of the season, like, hey, heads up, this is going to happen. And then we sort of had to identify that week pretty early on. So we had a couple or two or three weeks lead time um, so we could begin to broadcast it in all our different channels. So um, we were doing emails. Um, I had high open rates on those ones just because I paid attention to the headline that I wrote, you know, to, to get them to even open the email. And we put it on our, our social media. We have a really active private Facebook group that a lot of our members are a part of. 
And so that was a place where we placed it as well. And then we even did reminders at the pickup. We did a verbal reminder. So we had a little cheat sheet for our staff who was passing out the boxes. And that was kind of the trigger, like, hey, every time someone picks up a box, you have to say this. So that they were getting it, you know, three different ways um, to make sure. And even then, I think we had two people that still showed up um, for their box. But, you know, we could say, well, we tried. We, we could point to three or four ways that we had very actively tried to campaign and let them know that it wasn't happening. And only two is a, wow, that's a really small that's, number. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good out of, for out of 400 member CSA. That's pretty good. Well, and I like how what you just said about how you did that process really kind of comes back to one of the benefits of having the face-to-face communication with your members every week. It really does give you just one more opportunity to, to say, we're not going to be here next week or to relay whatever else needs to be relayed in that. Yeah. Our private Facebook group has been just absolutely incredible too. I don't know if, uh, how many of your listeners who are CSA farmers have a private group. I know most people probably have a business fan page, but we have really leveraged the heck out of our private group and, um, like just about everyone is on there and checking it. So that's a, you almost, I was getting people telling me when I was doing this email campaign for a renewal, I had some people saying, I don't check my email. Can you just cut and paste the email right into the post, you know, in our group? And so I started doing that too. I'm like, Oh, I guess that makes sense. So we have made some tougher decisions. Well, I that's made in stone yet, but, we're like Akrina said, when you're when you're a new farm or medium aged farm, you're looking for any live pulse to sell to. And we're now coming to of, of age, we feel we're a mature business that we're able to to sort of take a step back and be like, hey, are we really making money on that? And do we really want to be making any money? Do we, is it more important that we're here at home more time wise for kids at this point in time in our life? So we're taking a really hard look at at um some farmers markets that were, yeah, we make really good money there, but it's it doesn't fit our, our current hedgehog or our CSA system. So it's sort of out of, out of whack for us to, to man those or to rent a vehicle or whatever it is um, to do that. So we're looking to cut those down or cut those out of our, our system and create some more um, open time for us to be on, on farm more, more or less, but then to create some more plan time for sit down on the calendar and like actually plan out some days where we're just going to be like, Hey, we're going to go on a vacation periodically throughout the, the growing season as well. That decision was really freeing for me because I am one of the people that stands at the market all day long and tries to sell vegetables. And, you know, we were making, uh, there were some weeks we were doing pretty well, but most of the weeks we might be bringing home like three or $400. And when you're sitting there all day long and that's all you have to show for it, that's really discouraging. And especially when um, I, that's not my skill set. So I kept thinking about, you know, I'm a teacher, I'm a content provider. That's where I'm adding a lot of value to our brand right now. And I'm, there's an entire day in our week where I am, I felt trapped, you know, at this market. So once we made that decision, like, what if we didn't, we just said, what if we didn't go to that market where I have to sit there? Um, What would that look like? And what, what value could I add to the business and the brand with an additional day that's in my skill set. Um, so really trying to take a look at our, our, our strengths. And I think that we 
as a business, you're going to produce the greatest fruit in your strength zone. So as much as you can, as much as you can hang out in your strength zone, that's where you're going to get energized. That's where you're going to produce. And it's going to be easy to produce stuff. Um, and then you try to delegate the things or get rid of the things that drain you. And I, I think we're at the place now where we're able to identify those things and start actually doing them, having the courage to, to just try it. If it doesn't work, we'll, I guess we'll go back to the market the next year, but we're going to give it a shot. And I suppose this is one of those places where the kinds of effort that you have put into marketing the CSA and the kind of confidence that you've been able to build with that. I would think it would be pretty easy for you guys to say, well, we're going to be able to make up that income someplace else. Right. Yeah. And in fact, um, one of the one of the ideas that I'm kind of working on right now is is developing the, that CSA course a little bit more. So um, all that research that I did of our CSA masters and figuring out what's the, what was the roadmap that, that most of them walked through to get really good at CSA. You know, they didn't all start out that way, but, but after a few years, they were awesome at it. And well, what are the skill sets? What are the, the things that you wish you'd known earlier? And kind of identifying that, that track and that, that roadmap so that I can replicate it. I can, I can share it with a newbie, a, a CSA rookie and, and duplicate those, those results faster um, that system is something that I'm really excited about exploring and developing so that I can, you know, I can sell memberships to our Facebook group, for instance, so that other people, anybody could join the group and have access to the training library and, and the eBooks for every vegetable and learn that information. So that's a, a great example of how I can create a, an information product, um, that sells and I don't have, so I can be doing that instead of sitting at the, you know, the farmer's market once a week all day long um, so I can be uh, using my, my skills and my strength zone to build a new product that fits what we're known for and fits our brand. With that, we're going to turn to our lightning round, but first we're going to get one more word from one more spot. Well, it'll be a couple of words from one more sponsor, and then we'll be right back. This lightning round and perennial support for the Farmer to Farmer podcast is brought to you by BCS America. BCS two-wheel tractors are real farming equipment for real farmers. And with PTO-driven attachments like rototillers, flail mowers, rotary plows, power harrows, log splitters, snow throwers, even a utility trailer and a new water transfer pump, you've got the tools you need to get jobs done across the farm and across the homestead. On my own farm, we went through a number of so-called solutions for mowing and tilling before we finally got smart and bought a BCS. Even though we owned a four-wheel tractor to manage our 20 acres of vegetables, the BCS tackled jobs that we couldn't do with the larger machine from mowing steep slopes and around trees to working in our high tunnels. Plus, they're gear-driven for years of dependable service. Check out bcsamerica.com to see the full lineup of tractors and attachments, plus cool videos of BCS in action. Corinna, what is your favorite tool for marketing? My favorite tool for marketing? Um, uh, if I had to recommend something, I would say people need to uh, start looking at um, some podcasts and listening to people who are really great at online marketing. So amyporterfield.com, uh, she has an incredible podcast called Online Marketing Made Easy. Um, and then Social Media Examiner is another great podcast that you all need to listen to uh, because I guess those were the catalysts for me that gave me the tools to start becoming a great marketer. So I feel like if people started there, they would start getting introduced to a lot of these concepts and teachings 
that are that are going on in the online marketing space. So I feel like podcasts, listening to podcasts would be my favorite tool for growing and sharpening my axe. Kurt, what's your favorite tool on the farm? My new favorite tool is probably my newest app on my iPhone called Rev. Um, midway through the season, I've, I'm a firm believer in pocketbooks. I've got the the, the rain rain kind of you know when it gets wet, does it fold up and fold up whatever. But I now have this Rev where I just speak into my phone and note have notes on my phone, and for a certain cost or whatever, you can uh, have them like they'll have a printout for you or whatever. So that's probably the coolest thing I'm, I'm, I found this as of recent is having that keeping notes on my phone is a easier way to do that. Get out. That's your favorite tool, Jeff. I can't believe that. <laughs> <laughs> yep. A digital tool for my husband. I love that. <laughs> Things you never yep. thought were going to happen. Things you didn't know about your husband, right? <laughs> <laughs> Rev.com is actually who we use for doing our transcripts. I actually will send this recording off to them and they'll do the transcription for us and cool. then send it back and we edit it. When you do that, you're making, you're making audio recordings, obviously of your voice. Do you get all of those transcribed or do you go back and select which ones you want to get transcribed? I have not started that process yet, but I'm, I'm just right now making hand notes off it. So I'm going to, I'm going to be in the process of creating, creating a, a system for next year of how that's going to work out for me. Awesome. Karina, what's your favorite crop on the farm? Oh, I would have to say the ones that make the most money. Um, so the the carrots and the Romanesco are probably the, the ones that have the, the best story behind them and that create a frenzy among my customers. So I love any chance I have to talk about those high-end products that everybody wants. Um, where I can create scarcity and excitement. That's really fun for me um, to do that. I love that answer. That's such a marketing answer. It's the ones where I can create the frenzy. (laughs) Kurt, do you have a crop that's your favorite to grow? Brian, my two would probably be, uh, we grow really good uh, carrots and and garlic. We have really good soil for those two crops. I know you make a big deal out of your carrots on the website, but that's actually something that you, you come back to again and again in your, in your ad copy. Yeah, we actually have, we actually have a name for them. We call them cracked carrots and uh, people are always asking us why they call cracked carrots. And I say, well, because they're addicting. And I remember getting that tip from Elliot Coleman somewhere that if you just name something a different way, a lot of times it, it just causes a conversation to happen. So that's been a, a fun thing. I think it's re- it's a really important idea, and especially with, I mean, it it gives you a way to set those carrots apart from the carrots that somebody can get in the grocery store. It really says these are these are not just carrots; they're they're crack carrots. Right. Like that. Kurt, if you could go back in time and tell your beginning farmer self one thing, what would it be? One thing. Probably look at my soil particularly a little bit closer and get some better soil samples and really build soil right from the get-go more so than I have in the past. And we're, we're, we're just getting into like just, you know, mineralizing the soil and, you know, we're getting the right amount of compost on and our cover crop rotations. We're just getting a good, good rotation of things. But when you're first years, you're just, it's like, you just got to go with flow and whatever works, works. So but we're, we're in a really good place right now. Corinna, how about you? If you could go back in time and tell your beginning farmer self one thing, what would it be? 
Oh, that's easy. I have two. I'm sorry. I'm going to have two. The first one is I would start building my email list way earlier. Um, I would have let go of that myth that email doesn't matter. So that would be the first thing. And the second thing that I would do is I would interview my customers. Uh, I would just do that way earlier. I would get on the phone and talk to my ideal customer, get into their head and figure out what is it that they love about me? Why are they coming to my farmer stand? Why are they buying at my CSA? And what, what are their pain points? And just really trying to know who they are so I can better serve them. Awesome. Marina and Kurt, thank you so much for being part of the Farmer to Farmer podcast today. Thank Thanks you so much, Chris. This was a blast. All right. So wrapping things up here, I'll say again that this is episode 145 of the Farmer to Farmer podcast. You can find the notes for this show at farmertofarmerpodcast.com by looking on the episodes page or just searching for Bench. That's B-E-N-C-H. The transcript for this episode is brought to you by Earth Tools, offering the most complete selection of walk-behind farming equipment and high-quality garden tools in North America. And by Osborne Quality Seeds, a dedicated partner for growers. Visit osborneseed.com for high-quality seed, industry-leading customer service, and fast order fulfillment. And by CoolBot, allowing you to build an affordable walk-in cooler powered by a window air conditioning unit. Save $20 on your CoolBot when you visit farmertofarmerpodcast.com slash CoolBot. Additional funding for transcripts is provided by North Central SARE, providing grants and education to advance innovations in sustainable agriculture. You can get the show notes for every Farmer to Farmer podcast right in your inbox by signing up for my email newsletter at farmertofarmerpodcast.com. If you enjoy the show, please head over to iTunes, leave us a review or talk to us in the show notes or tell your friends on Facebook. We're at Purple Pitchfork on Facebook. And hey, when you talk to our sponsors, please let them know how much you appreciate their support of a resource you value. You can support the show directly by going to farmertofarmerpodcast.com slash donate. I'm working to make the best farming podcast in the world and you can help. Finally, please let me know who you would like to hear from on the show through the suggestions form at farmertofarmerpodcast.com and I will do my best to get them on the show. Thank you for listening. Be safe out there and keep the tractor running.